invite you to please turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and this morning we're going to be focusing in on verses 49 through 59. John chapter 6, verses 49 through 59. Of course, we are resuming our life-changing look at Jesus, and here in John 6, we find him teaching what's often referred to as the bread of life discourse. I do trust you brought your copy of God's Word with you. I am metaphorically hoping you also brought your scuba gear because this text is deep and we're about to go deep. Um, I pray for clarity in my words. I pray for clarity in your mind as we work through these things. I, I just want to ask for you to pay close attention even as we begin reading here to allow these words to sink in. As Jesus brings us the words of life. Verse 49, this is God's word. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, if you're like me, you probably find yourselves amongst the Jews this morning wondering what in the world is Jesus talking about? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's the question they raise in verse 56. What does it mean when Jesus says that you, that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood? What does it mean that his flesh is true food? What does it mean that his blood is true drink? Is Jesus talking about communion here? Is he talking about cannibalism? Is consuming human flesh and blood the secret to eternal life? 
I mean, a casual reading of this text can leave us feeling a little uncomfortable, a bit confused, and perhaps grossed out. I'll let you in on a little secret. Right before the service, I picked off a callus from my hand, and I handed it to my wife, and she goes, gross. (laughs) It's just a flap of dead skin. We're talking about eating another man's flesh and drinking his blood. So we need to go beyond the casual reading. We need to put on the scuba gear, and we need to go deep. Let's try to understand Jesus as best we can. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to do the best I can. But I doubt that I'm even scratching the surface on what Jesus is saying here. Our first point this morning is this. By the way, none of our points are cute and clever. They're all horrible, (laughs) but they'll work. I'm not here to be cute and clever this morning. I'm here to be clear. I'm here to be clear. Point number one, Jesus is teaching us about eternal life. He's teaching us about eternal life. This is something that we're pretty familiar with, so let's start here. Jesus is teaching about eternal life. Verse 49 we begin to see this. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Okay, when you die, that's not eternal life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that you one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So he's talking about bread, that if you eat it, you will live forever, eternal life. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so what we have here is a promise of eternal life. And he's also talking about being raised from the dead. That's because these bodies of ours are perishable. They've been corrupted by sin, therefore they die. Death is the avenue by which we shed these bodies. We need to shed these bodies like a snake sheds its skin. And so we shed these bodies through death, and Jesus is saying, for eternal life, he needs to raise us up and give us new bodies. And so the corruptible is replaced by that which is incorruptible, our new resurrection bodies one day. Verse 57, the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. What's it saying there is the the living Father sent me. Living Father means that God has life in himself, in himself. He does not need anything else to sustain him. God is the source of all life. He needs no food. He needs no rest. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So what we've got here, church, is Jesus teaching us about eternal life. My son's bearded dragon died this week. That was a difficult loss for us. The love that my son has in his heart is vast. And it is potent. 
To be an object of my son's love is to be blessed. And my son loves that lizard. And now his lizard is dead. You know, death is a rotten part of life. Anyone who tells you that death is a natural part of life does not understand the Bible or the goodness of God. When God created the world and everything in it, he did not create death. It was not listed among those things that were called very good. When God created the world, he did not create death. Death entered the world through sin. Death is the result not of God's goodness, but the result of man perverting God's goodness in the form of sin. Romans 5.12 gives us some commentary on this. There Paul writes, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, in the garden, and death through sin. How did sin, I'm sorry, how did death come into the world? Through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And this is why God promises that in the kingdom of heaven, death will die. Death will be no more. Life will be eternal. Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Death will die. And you see, this is one of the great truths behind the meal that God is giving to us today in John 6 the truth of eternal life. Whoever feeds on the bread of life, the, ble- the, bre- bleh, the bread of Christ will have eternal life. So this text is about eternal life. Secondly, This text is not about communion. So this is our second point. This text is about eternal life, point number one. Point number two, this text is not about communion. Jesus is not teaching about communion. He's teaching about salvation. He's talking about the beginning of eternal life and what sustains us for eternal life. So he's not talking about communion per se. He's talking about, teaching about salvation and eternal life that flows from it. But I need you to pay close attention now because this has the potential to be the most confusing point I've ever given to you. These verses do not refer to communion. These verses, John 6 Let me start that over. These verses do not refer to communion. Communion refers to John 6. You see, John 6, these words, Jesus is talking to us about salvation and our eternal life. 
Now, communion is an edible, visible sign that John 6 and salvation and eternal life is, in fact, ours. It applies to us. You see, John 6 teaches us how we are sustained for eternal life, and communion assures us that we are sustained for eternal life. John 6 is the foundation upon which communion is built. So is Jesus here in John 6 talking about communion? No. Is communion tied closely to John 6? Yes. Communion, it draws its language, it draws its truths from what Jesus teaches us here about his flesh and blood. So, point number one, this text is about eternal life. Point number two, it's not about communion. But boy, communion is sure about John 6. Point number three, this is the least clever point I've ever given to you. This is, not these, my English is bad. Verses 40, 54, and 56 are key. That's your next point, point number three. Verses 40, 54, and 56 are key. If we're gonna understand this passage, we need to allow verse 40 to inform verse 54, and we need verse 54 to inform verse 56. So we're gonna work our way through each one of these verses here. Verse 40. I know I didn't read it earlier, but it's important. We need this. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What we have here is a literal, clear statement. What's Jesus say? He says, everyone who looks on him and believes in him will have eternal life, and he'll be raised up on the last day. Without using the words if-then, this is an if-then sort of a thing. If you look upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you see him for what he is, God and Savior, and you believe in him as a result, if these things are true of you, then these other two things will be true of you. One, you will have eternal life, and two, you will be raised up on the last day. Who gets raised from the dead? Who has eternal life? Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him. This is very important, very important. Are you doing okay? Who gets eternal life? Those who look to Christ and believe on him. 
And we need to allow verse 40 to help us understand verse 54. Because verse 54 is going to tell us the same thing using a metaphor. Verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh, that's one. Two, and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. The if part of this verse is if you feed on his flesh, if you drink his blood, then eternal life is yours and you will be raised on the last day. Now, let's bring verse 40 into this. Verse 40 was literal. Verse 54 is metaphor. Verse 40 gives us the literal meaning to the metaphor in verse 54. They both teach the same truths and give the same promises the promises of eternal life and being raised up on the last day. So this means, as we interpret verse 54, to feed on Christ's flesh and to drink his blood is not literal. They are metaphors that refer to looking to Jesus and believing in him. I am going to stop short of saying they're synonymous. I'm going to stop short of saying that looking to Jesus and believing in, in him are synonymous with eating his flesh and drinking his blood. I will say, or I will ask and answer the question, how? Then, do we eat his flesh and drink his blood? By believing in him. By looking to him and believing in him. The one leads to the other. They coincide with one another. Listen, church, when we see Jesus for who and what he is, limited in our sight, as bad as our vision is, when we begin to see and behold Jesus Christ and believe in him, we feast on his flesh and we drink his blood and that leads to eternal life and the fact that we will be raised on the last day. So that's verse 40 and how it informs verse 54. Now we need to allow verse 54 to inform us on verse 56. Look at verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. In other words, whoever sees Christ and believes in Christ, you have fed on Christ and you've drank his blood. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, the last part of verse 56 says, abides in me and I in him. And that's huge. If we look to Christ, believe in Christ, if we eat his flesh and drink his blood, he abides in us. And we abide in him. Which means when you look to Jesus, you believe in him, from that moment on, listen, Jesus abides, he dwells, he lives in you. You are in Christ in a very real, true sense. He's in us. When we look to him and believe in him, you are given eternal, life-giving food and drink. And that food and drink sustains you and energizes you for all of eternity. And that food and drink is none other than Jesus himself. Church, Jesus the eternal Son of God is in you, and you are in him. Whoever feeds on my flesh, whoever drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. Church, I don't know how I can do this justice, but this has huge ramifications on us. You see, the moment that, that you believe in Jesus Christ, you are united to him. You are intricately and intimately connected to him in such a way that the two of you become one. He is in you, and you are in him. Marriage serves as a great illustration of this. We're told in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31, for this reason a man and a, 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 for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. My wife and I are one flesh. I'm standing up here, she's sitting down there. It doesn't look like we're one flesh, but we're one flesh. And Paul says this mystery is great, but I'm not speaking just to tell you about what happens when a husband and a wife come together and they're one flesh. He says, I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. We are one flesh with Christ. You see, the moment of salvation, God declares you to be in Christ. That means what Christ has done. If you're in Christ, what Christ has done, you have done. His perfection is credited to you. And what you have done, he took on and bore on the cross because it's nothing but sin. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be sin for our sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
which means believer. This is the part that I'm just saying is, has huge ramifications, and I wish there was some way to help you behold its beauty. But because you are in Christ, because you are one with Christ, God looks at you and there is zero condemnation. There is nothing but the perfect, eternal love that the Father has for the Son and is put on you. Why? Because you're in Him. You're a partaker of him. You've seen him. You believe him. And you've ate his flesh. And you've drank his blood. Christ is in you. Therefore, there is no condemnation. There is no room for fear. The door has been opened wide and it is a room full of nothing but joy and bliss and the love and the acceptance of God the Father. Why? Because you are in Christ and he is in you. When does that happen? The moment you're saved. The moment you see him, the moment you believe in him. And again, that is the moment you've eaten of him and you've drank of his blood. Jesus promises, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides, dwells, lives in me and I in him. Is it any wonder that Paul later says, in him, we live and we move and we have our being. So those are the three verses that we need to know. Those three verses help us understand and navigate this text. How do you get eternal life? You see him and you believe in him. How do you eat of his flesh and drink of his blood? You see him and you believe in him. Because you've eaten of him and you drink his blood, he abides in you and you in him. And all these promises in Christ Jesus are yes for you who believe. Point number four. Point number four. Jesus' flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. It's our fourth point. Verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. His flesh is the bread. He gives it for the world. He didn't give it just for the Jews. Well, church, he says this for me and you. The bread that he gives for the world, even Americans, is his flesh. The bread is his flesh. 
This is a metaphor that is rich in substance. And perhaps, perhaps it's more than a metaphor. The bread is his flesh. The metaphor is again defined for us. Jesus says, the metaphorical bread is my literal flesh. When Jesus speaks of his flesh, he's referring to his incarnation. The incarnation, (coughs) excuse me, the incarnation refers to the eternal son of God, that's Jesus, taking on human flesh when he was born of the Virgin Mary. John, at the beginning of this gospel that he writes, he says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things that were created through him, without him nothing was created or made, in him was life. Now you and I know who the Word of God is, it's Jesus. We know that because in verse 14 of John chapter 1, he tells us that the word became flesh. That Jesus, the eternal son of God, took on human flesh and he dwelt among us. It's the incarnation. So here in John 6, Jesus is referring to his human flesh. He says, my flesh is the bread. And then he goes on in verses 53 to 55 to talk about his blood. Verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Does this mean that we literally eat his flesh and drink his blood? I'm going to tell you no. I believe this is to be this is impossible. That's because his body, his physical body and blood, they are presently seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And though you might think Cornerstone Community Church is heaven, like I do, it's not. You're not in heaven. You're here. And so from a literal sense, there's no way that we could physically eat of his human flesh that he took on at the incarnation. But we must not be mistaken. All who have eternal life truly 
eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. He makes sure we realize this when he says, for my flesh is what? True food. His flesh is food in the most truest sense. He does not say, my flesh is metaphorical food. It's true food. His blood is true drink. Your feeding on Christ begins the moment you look to him and believe in him. And this is the food that sustains you for eternity. This is a spiritual partaking of Christ's body and blood. This is a mystical communion with him. When I say it's a mystical communion, I, I mean by that that it cannot be reasoned or explained by science. This is not something that is observed by the human eye. This is something that is believed by faith. Now you and I, I don't think I've ever seen one of my bones personally. No, I've never seen one of my bones personally. I'll clear that up. Never seen one of my bones personally. I know they exist though. I can feel them for one. But two, if I go down to the hospital and I get an x-ray, I can see them. They're there. Therefore, I know they exist. It's easy for us to believe things that we can literally feel or see with our own eyes. It's harder for us at times to believe things that we don't see, that we can't literally feel with our senses. But that doesn't mean they don't exist. Have you ever seen your thoughts? Can you go down to the hospital and have an x-ray machine x-ray your thoughts? No. No one has ever seen your thoughts, nor has anyone actually heard your thoughts. But yet, you know they exist. You see, there are things that exist that we simply cannot see. But it does not mean that they aren't real. Church, we spiritually partake. We mystically commune with Christ. It is an unseen spiritual reality. And this is why it's so important that as Christians, we live by faith and not merely by sight. Just as we believe that we are spiritually and mysteriously and really crucified with Christ, raised with Christ, and now seated, we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realm, so too we believe 
that we are spiritually and mysteriously and really partakers of his flesh, which is true food, and drink of his blood, which is true drink. Again, I say, we live by faith and not by sight. When's this all happen? When you see him and you believe in him, that is the start of your love feast with Christ. Now I want to finish this morning by answering, answering a very practical question. How is what Jesus is teaching us here, how, how does it relate to communion? This is our final point for this morning. How does this, what I've been talking about, how does this relate to communion? Because remember, I told you this communion doesn't, I'm sorry, this passage doesn't talk about communion, but yet communion is built upon the truths of this passage. This is the Lord's Supper, that which we're about to take in just a few minutes. Communion is a visible, edible, tangible sign sign of these unseen spiritual realities. It is a sign. It is not the substance. You've heard me use this illustration before, but I'm going to say it again. If you look to my right or my left, you're going to see doors. And above the doors, there are signs. And they say exit. They are exit signs. Are the exit signs the doors? No. They are signs that point to the reality that there are doors present. The bread and the cup, are they the body and blood of Jesus Christ? No. Oh, but they are signs that his body and his blood are present. And just as surely as we eat of a piece of bread and drink from a cup and our bodies are nourished, so too the body and the blood of Jesus Christ nourishes our soul, our faith for eternity. Are they in the cup? Are they in the bread? We don't believe so. There are those who do. Our confession of faith is rather helpful and brings clarity. The confession, the London Baptist Confession of 1689. Let me read from you here just a few of the words from chapter 30 that's on the Lord's Supper. Let me tell you this. Let me read this. It says there that the outward elements, that's the physical elements of the bread and the wine, duly set apart for its appointed use by Christ. The bread and the wine... They bear such a relation to the Lord crucified that in a true sense, although in terms used figuratively, key word, they are sometimes called by the names of the things they represent, namely the body and blood of Christ. These signs point us to the sure body and blood of Christ. It goes on to say in block seven, 
that those who outwardly or physically eat and drink the visible bread and the visible wine, or physical is a way to think about that, at the same time, receive and feed upon Christ crucified and receive all the benefits accruing from his death. This they do really and indeed, not as if feeding upon actual flesh and blood of a person's body, but inwardly and by faith. In the supper, the body and blood of Christ are present to the faith of believers, not in any actual physical way, but in a way of spiritual apprehension, just as the bread and wine themselves are present to their outward physical senses. The Lord's table is not ordinary. It is holy. It is not common. It is divine. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we partake of the body and blood of Christ. Augustine put it even more succinctly. He said, believe and you have eaten. Believe. And you have eaten. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus said, Take, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said to them, This is my blood. Wow. Do we believe as the Roman Catholics believe that the body, or that the bread and the wine turn into transubstantiate into the physical body and blood of Jesus? The answer is no. But nor do we cave to the religion of rationalists of post enlightenment that says there is no spiritual element in existence today. In Romans chapter 10, Rick will read it for you later. Rick, read it for him later, wherever you're at. I don't know where you are. But Paul will ask the rhetorical question, is the cup of blessing which we bless? And the cup of blessing, was, that's the technical word, phraseology for the third cup of wine during the Passover. Is this third cup of wine of the Passover, which we bless, is it not a koinonia? That's a Greek word. Is it not a fellowship, a communion with the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a koinonia, a communion with the body of Christ? 
Let's tie this up. This is the Christ who has come to save us. He left the glories of heaven to take on human flesh and all the aches and pains that go with human flesh. And while he wore this flesh, he never sinned once. He did it perfectly. And yet, they still killed him. They nailed him to a cross. Why? Because that was the perfect plan of God, to hang him on a cross. Why? So that he could die for the deeds that we've done in our flesh. He takes our sin, our penalty, and he pays for it in his body. That's Colossians 2. It's nailed to the cross. But not only does he take it, what we give him, he gives us what he did, his perfection, all in his flesh. And now I'm going to switch metaphors, okay? Here's a right turn for you, okay? Here we go. He's like a lamb. He's like a lamb from the Old Testament Passover meal. It had to be a perfect lamb, spotless lamb. They would take it, they would take their knife, they'd take their sharp rock, they'd kill the lamb, and they'd pour out its blood, and they'd put it in a bucket. So the perfect spotless lamb, it's killed. Its blood is then put on the house to cover the house with the blood of Christ. So that way the wrath of God is not poured out upon him. It's all because of the, the shed blood of the lamb. Jesus is the shed blood of the lamb. But what do they do with the lamb after the blood is applied and they're made holy and right with God? They ate the lamb. And so with Jesus, he comes, he's a, he's a perfect spotless lamb. He dies in our behalf. He satisfies the wrath of God. His blood is applied. And then what do we do? We eat the lamb. His body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for you. This is the Christ whom we believe. Come behold the wondrous mystery. It's a song we sing. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful reality that Christ in his flesh died for ours, gave us his perfection, and now gives us himself. If anyone eats his flesh and drinks his blood, he abides in you and you abide in him. What a glorious Christ. What a glorious Christ. Let's pray. Is it any wonder, O Lord, that your prophet John cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.
This salvation couldn't be any more personal, God. You take on our flesh. You die for our sin. You give us your perfection. And now you say, take and eat of yourself. This is the eternal food, the bread of life, the bread come down from heaven. May we marvel at Jesus. May we glory in Jesus. Amen.